With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yes, uh, Marina, New Zealand. Good morning to you all, uh, courtesy of Brant, uh, your local John Deere equipment supplier, and they've got uh, outlets throughout the country. Uh, please call in and see them if you uh, want to deal in the green and yellow machinery that uh, they are the agents for, John Deere equipment. So that's Brant. Thanks uh, for their support on the show, which today uh, we'll begin with some cricket. Uh, we'll talk about uh, the one-day performance by uh, New Zealand and India, but I want to focus too on women's cricket because uh, it's all going uh, on at the moment in South Africa with the under-19s and it's about to start too uh, with the uh, women's, uh, the White Ferns and the T20 World Cup and uh, they're a chance I think in the shorter form of the game. Uh, at about 9.25 we're going to look a little bit more closely at the CBA drama which is in uh, Australia which is causing all sorts of havoc. A lot of people becoming outspoken on this issue uh, about the collective bargaining agreement uh, which threatens to uh, disrupt the start of the season. Uh, interesting uh, segment of the show today. We're going to do it in three parts. Uh, our wish list, so both, uh, uh, all three of us actually, Brian Rarity, uh, Logan Swinkles and myself are going to put forward uh, what we hope to see in uh, sport in this calendar year. So uh, we've all got uh, our little uh, theories on, on uh, how we think uh, things should uh, perhaps pan out. But yeah, we'll uh, have at least four, uh, four each. Four things we'd love to see happen in uh, 2023. And on that subject, uh, what about yourself coming in too on the temper bedpost text machine line? Uh, that is double eight double three. Love to hear from you. What uh, only have give us one if you like. You don't have to give us four. Uh, one thing you would really like to see uh, happen in sport in 2023 doesn't have to naturally be New Zealand sport. Uh, it can be worldwide sport. So something you'd like to see. Double eight, double three. We'll read it out. Uh, make no mistake about that. George Berry after ten o'clock. He is uh, our NBA pundit, uh, reaching an interesting stage of the season, and uh, we'll just take a look at where things stand here and now. Andrew Gordy and Sam Ackerman on the panel this morning, uh, and then Shannon Stallard. Yes, this very interesting young man who uh, played seventeen and a bit rounds of golf in one day. Seventeen and a bit rounds of golf in one day, and lived to tell the story. So we'll be talking uh, to Shannon and hearing his story after 11 o'clock this morning. Talk to to Andy Thompson, being a Wednesday, of course. It's the Rural Roundup preview, and we'll be doing that around about quarter to 12. And then, of course, we'll hand over to the almighty Mark Stafford for the afternoon. Nine oh four here on SENZ in the mornings, and uh, we start uh, very powerfully with uh, Craig Cumming this morning on the back of the fact that uh, overnight the Black Caps got uh, done again. Uh, they have uh, suffered a three nil drubbing in this uh, series against India. So uh, what can we read into it? We know we had uh, some key players missing, 
and uh, why were they missing actually uh, that's an interesting point in itself so uh, good morning uh, to Craig Cumming and a happy new year to you sir yeah morning Smitty and uh, you're back to uh, real life ironing your own shirts making your own cup of tea and probably driving yourself around instead of when you're in Australia eh? where you had you know chauffeurs and people running after you what were you following me well, I know what happens. I know what's part of your contract, don't I? It's uh, it's guaranteed. <laughs> no, I just, did actually, what I want to know, did actually anyone make you a cup of tea? I know everything was put on for you, including probably breakfast and as you you get your shirts put on you, but um, did anyone make you a cup of tea in the morning? Actually, no, not to the same level that you did uh, every morning, <laughs> uh, our, our Dilma, I can say that. We did have a bloke uh, or a, a lady um, at East Venue called a talent manager, and they did make sure that you were happy, put it that way. But apart from that, <laughs> no, one's e- no one's ever made the cup of tea like you, Sid, I promise you that. Um, w- they'll be drinking a little bit of um, oh, mixed-feeling tea in uh, India this morning, the Black Caps, on the back of uh, another, I-, I won't say a pasting because the margin wasn't huge, but... In all sense of the word, it was gone, and uh, it was gone pretty early on in the piece. Three 0 What do you read into it? Oh yeah, I mean, I just heard your introduction. I mean, do we look at the bowling? Uh, do we look at the fact that we are missing players? Do we look at the fact that this is our future, or do we also throw in the mix that we're in India and on a very flat pitch and conditions that they love and, and they're high motivated at the moment? So. You know, um, they got off to an absolute fly, Smithy. And I mean, you know, Jacob Duffy was trying to swing the new ball and you could see Rohit Sharma's pretty driven at the moment. He hadn't had 100, I think, for quite a while. And, you know, they just put us to the sword when it came to the start. And you could see that a little bit of a lost look. Tom Latham was a little bit lost at the start when it came to his options. And, yeah, it's a, it's a huge learning curve. I mean, you know, you look at the bowling attack and we're so used to, you know, Bolt and Southey, um, you mentioned, to, to the other guys about, you know, Cole Jamison's missing, but this is our future because we're not going to have Southie, we're not going to have Bolt, um, we might not have Bolt at all. Um, so, you know, a massive learning curve, and I suppose in one way you could say at least they're getting experience. Um, to me, I'm a little bit more concerned about the batting, Smithy. I mean, Devin Conway, brilliant, um, but, you know, they're bowled out in the 40th over. Um, to me, is a concern. Henry Nichols has got 40-odd, but he hasn't really done a lot in any format in the last sort of 18... 18- so, you know, I'm probably more worried about the batting in a way, Smithy, about how we're going. I know you throw Kane back in the mix and, and things change, but, you know, we, um, we're just sort of teetering at the moment. We're just trying to find our feet, and I'm not sure what that looks like. And, you know, we've got a World Cup coming up, and we're going to have to find it pretty quickly. Well, we've got a World Cup coming up um, and in India, and, uh, of course, and that's in October and November, and 50-over cricket. And, and I just it just makes me... Guess a little bit, I think it's fair to say, uh, why we weren't playing our best available side. I know players need rest from time to time, but why we weren't playing our best available side with our head coach there um, in in conditions where we're going to play in a World Cup. Yeah, and, and part of your preparation is trying to get ready for talk about these big events and I don't know. I mean, we had the period where COVID came in, Smithy, and we understood that with isolation and, you know, being away from home, that that was challenging for players and and management. But, yeah, you're right. I mean, I I just would have thought we're trying to find our best rhythm and our best way of playing and our best experience of playing over there and with a World Cup in mind. And I don't know. You know, I look at... They've played played some cricket, Smithy. I wouldn't say they've played a huge amount. Um, And... 
you know, once upon a time, I, I thought it was a game we loved. I, I thought you loved playing it. I, I mean, I'd rather be rather be playing than sitting at home, um, not playing. You know, there are breaks, and I suppose one of the challenges we've got now is around with all these different leagues players playing. But at the end of the day, you know, we want guys playing for the Black Caps, and you're right. I, I just I can't work out. I'd rather. I'd rather they miss the wee end of the Pakistan League so they're actually playing in these conditions and getting used to these conditions and, and being prepared for this World Cup. You know, um, and that includes, you know, maybe Gary Stead being there. But I do understand, you know, there is that other side of it. But, you know, we've also got to realise that, you know, this is your job and this is what you're doing. I would have thought you'd actually love trying to doing it. So, yep, it's a big question mark at the moment. And when you get to a tournament, Smithy, and if you get knocked out or you want to turn around and say, if only, or buts, and maybe, you know, if we do, we could turn around and say, oh, well, if only we had this at this tour, if we only had this at this tour. And you don't want that. You certainly don't want that. So it's a little bit, yeah, I'm, I'm a little bit confused by it myself. Where do you sit with Finn Allen? I mean, Gary Stead made a very public um, announcement, basically, when he said, this is our guy going forward, Martin Guptill. Um, I'm sorry you'll have to, um, if you like, to wait in the wings, but we can't promise you anything. Finn Allen is our man now. He has not displayed enough of that for me to have that kind of faith, I'm afraid. No, I agree. Um, I mean, I've spoken, I think, to you. I've spoken to others. I've turned around, you know, the style of cricketers we're trying to produce. And you just got to look at last night. And when it comes to cricketers within our own country and the way we're trying to produce it, I, I want to produce Devin Conway's. I want to produce, Kev, uh, you know, Kane Williamson's. The guys that have got craft and can bat Smithy and, and they've got more than one tempo. Um, Finn Allen, at the moment... Yeah, he's young, he's learning, but really important position for us at the top of the order. And he seems to be, at the moment, a one-pace, a one-line hitter. And last night was actually the perfect conditions. But, you know, we, we need to, and we're always used to, with Martin Guptill there, at least uh, getting off to good starts, and his record is unbelievable. So, yeah, at the moment, I think, um, at the moment, it's failing. And, and maybe Finn's getting the experience, and we've got to, they've got to stick with him. But he's not producing enough at the moment. And as I said, I'd like to see um, a little bit more craft when it comes to the way he's playing, um, a little bit more craft when it comes to the cricketers we're trying to produce and uh, what happened to be able to score around, all around the ground, um, what happened to be able to use the pace of the ball, what happened to being able to use skill and, and beat fielders on their left and right. And even you look at Rohit Sharp and the way they play, yes, they're powerful, but they also have skill in the way they go about executing their plans and, and I just worry at the moment that Finn's sort of been thrown into that mix where it's a one pace batter up, it's a baseball style mentality try and hit home runs and that's all we want and I think we need more and in India Smithy, I, I think it's a the surfaces get rewarded highly for good cricket and we're just struggling with that and we're always on the back foot from the start of the innings Okay so Conway's a given uh, there's no doubt about that. He is yep. a brilliant player, Devin Conway. Kane Williamson is a given. Uh, but what about Glenn Phillips? How, how are we using Glenn Phillips? The right way or not? Uh, they're using him in that sort of close. Um, you know, I'm, I'm always a believer, Smitty, that, you know, you, you, pat, you bet your best batters in order. And, and to me, you know, I suppose Mitchell deserves that opportunity, uh, that Ross Taylor role. And, again, maybe we're... Maybe we're forgetting very quickly how important Ross Taylor was in this format of the game. I mean, he was um, the top three middle-order players in the world, and his record suggested that. And maybe, you know, when we look at the side, Smithy, you know, maybe the, the piece we're actually missing is the consistency and, and the skill that Ross Taylor used to bring it for. Um, and, you know, when it comes to where Phillips is, where Mitchell is, and where those guys are trying to, I suppose, 
forged their careers, but we're trying to replace one of our, well, our, you know, our best one-day cricketer in the middle order, and we're not being able to do that. So maybe we're looking at other areas, Smithy, and trying to piece together, but we're actually realising actually how good Ross Taylor was in that role and how big a loss he's been in that middle order role. Well, I, I tend to agree with you there. Um, I also just wonder if we've not got enough closing ability um, I, I, without Phillips. Have we not got, with um, Mitchell, Santner and Bracewell, have we not got enough closing ability to let Glenn Phillips play a much more dominant role closer to the top of the order? Uh, good point, yeah, absolutely. And, and I suppose Tom Latham probably hasn't had the success with the bat uh, in this series, but, you know... I would have thought last night he's probably walked off in an absolute... The mind would have been just flying. Um, and the question is, I mean, he, he's been great for us in that role. But, yeah, I, I think maybe someone like Phillips... I mean, at the end of the day, you've got to score runs, Smithy. And, you know, you want to give your best players the opportunity, the most amount of balls to be able to have the biggest impact in the game. And, and if you look at someone like Glenn Phillips, I mean, he's batted behind Bracewell, he's batted in front. Give him the best chance to face the most amount of balls and allow him the chance to have an impact. And if you get yourself into a stage where you go into the last five overs and you have a chance to win, then you're in the game. It's a little bit like we're, we're nearly getting out of the game, and then we're asking, say, Phillips to try and bring us back in. So, you know, I'd have no problem maybe looking at him go to four. And, and even, you know, he could swap with Mitchell. Mitchell's done a really good role in, in everything he's tried, but maybe you could put Mitchell. He's done it a lot domestically. He's done it before. Move him down and give Phillips the opportunity, because we know with Phillips... If he comes off, you're going to be in the game, and you're going to have a chance to chase down three, three thirty, three fifty. So, maybe look at him in the future for four. But again, we're running out of time, Smithy. We don't have a lot of time to try these things. And when we go back to the World Cup in October, we might be doing things for the first time, and and that's not what you want. Um, we want to know, and we want to have success for players in each role. Do we have to be patient with Trent Bolt, or do we just write him off? Some people have said, right, let's get on. We don't want him. Uh, in the capacity that this is not his number one job anymore. His number one job is to play league cricket and make as much money as he can towards the end of his career. Don't argue with that. Uh, but do, does that mean we actually say, right, thanks, Trent, it's been fun, but we've got to move on, or do we keep a door open for him? No door open. Non-negotiable for me, Smithy. Door's got... I, mean, I don't really understand the landscape, even, you know, in our lives, Smithy, you know, when it comes to, you know, broadcasting, coaching, everything's evolving so quickly. And, and Trent's our first one who's gone down this route. But he, he is crucial to us, especially in the next 12 months. And we go to him and say, right, what are you available for? Um, what are we going to, you know, where can we fit you in? And we'll take you. Uh, we have to. We, we need him. And, and what's wrong with doing that? I mean, he's a freelancer, but that's the world we're moving into. And let's be, I suppose, leaders in that and say to Trent, right, let's go to the calendar and we're going to block off the World Cup. You are part of our side. Right, where are you available before that? We'll try and piece you in because we want to get our rhythm going like we've just spoken about. And then after that also, you know, we're available for. But no, no, we've got to get the calendars synced with him and make sure we use him when he's available because he's still the best bowler we've got with white ball along with Tim Southey and make sure that we use him for the future. Without a doubt, non-negotiable for me, Smithy. Totally agree. Totally agree. Right, uh, let's uh, look at a very important uh, phase of uh, women's cricket, of course. You're heavily involved in that with your role down uh, in Dunedin and uh, the Wellington Plays are uh, putting together another quite incredible run. 
Well, they've got an incredible run, yeah. They haven't been beaten since, you know, what, two years ago in the final. And even then, um, they, they won every game through the round robin. So they are at the top of the tree. And they've brought in a couple of imports um, from Australia who made a huge impact the other day um, in the middle order. They're probably, you could arguably say, stronger now than they were before they lost their white ferns. So, yep, we're all chasing them, Smitty. But the beauty is, um, you know, my theory is we're, we're not, we've played the Blaze twice. We've got to just get ourselves into the playoffs. Um, and then once you get to on the dance floor, Smitty, you might be able to crack out a few moves. Um, I'm probably the wrong one to say about dancing. But, you know, you, whoever, you've got to have a chance at having a shot at the title. And we've seen many, many times teams been successful. And once you get to that playoff stage uh, or to finals, different things can happen. So, But at the moment, no, we're all, we're all chasing them. And um, I suppose in some ways you could easily say it's theirs to lose. And um, the pressure actually goes on them because no one has any expectations that, they aren't going to win it, so um, we'll chase them. But we've got a bit of to get there before we we, we think about that, Smithy. Well, the best players, of course, will be in action very shortly with the White Ferns and the T20 World Cup in South Africa. I, I kind of, you know, it's a little bit more fickle this form of the game. I, I kind of fancy us in terms of the shorter form of the game a wee bit more because we have got one or two explosive players and only needs one or two every now and then, and you can upset the apple cart. Yeah, you can. Exactly right. I mean, T20 or 2020 is, you know, you just need one player, um, with it, whether it be bat or ball, can make a difference. And, you know, you don't have to do it as long, Smithy, as well. So, you know, we've got, if you think about it, when it comes to some of the best players in the world in that format, Sophie Devine, right up there. So she just needs to have a couple of good days in the sun. Susie Bates has been an outstanding form for us in the Sparks. Um, she's worked really hard on her game, and I think she's, in a position to make a real impact. You've got with the ball, uh, Jess Kerr, but also Mealy Kerr. Um, you know, so I, you're right. I think it, it suits us more at the moment, the, the 2020 and We saw that even in the Commonwealth Games. They're very well led now by Ben Sawyer. Uh, he's got a really good template on how he wants to play the game. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm, I've got high expectations, actually, of the side when they go away. I think um, because of reasons, they've got the opportunity. I also think, Smithy, they may be... They've got rid of that mantle of expectation and saying, well, actually, we are in the top three and we deserve to be there. We actually probably realise we, we haven't been. And now we've got a little bit of that underdog fight and we've taken a little bit of that pressure ourselves and they actually want to go away and say, hey, England, you're expected to beat us, but we believe we can. But we've we got to go out and free up a little bit and play with a little bit more freedom. And um, as I said, they're really well led now by Ben Sawyer. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to that and I, I can see us doing really well. Fingers crossed anyway. So can I. I. I really do. I think we're going to be a surprise element there, that underdog tag, which you uh, quite rightfully pointed out there. I think it's a different feel about it under Ben Sawyer. And Now, uh, the other thing, of course, of interest to me is, uh, is the Under-19 Women's World Cup, which is currently heading towards uh, the playoff stages as such. And we're in them. Um, we have lost the game, and last night we accounted for Pakistan uh, by 103 runs, which is a massive margin when you think about it. Uh, there are some very good signs here going forward, are there not? Yeah, there are. It's it's probably their first real challenging game. They've had they've had a nice run, but that's what ha- happens at under 19s. But what was exciting for me was we got an opportunity to bat first, and we we put on a big total, 170. Um, you know, we've got Georgia Plummer there, who's part of the white. Um, you know, got 50. There's been some really good performances by Brownlee and also McLeod at the top of the order. And the big thing for these um, young players, actually getting experience of playing regularly, 
Uh, they're building their confidence. Um, they're really well coached with Sarah McGlashan uh, leading them over there. So they've got a big, yeah, but it's going to be a huge step up, Smitty. I mean, um, to, to play either India or Australia, we're, we're basically going sort of from, you know, the second floor to the top floor now. And it'll be a real test for The great thing is they've had a whole lot of experience. I've got a couple of players there who um, message back and they're absolutely loving it. They're learning all the time. And it's only going to help our game, um, you know, having 15 or so players over there experiencing what's going on. So, again, very much if we take on Australia or uh, India. But, hey, you never know, Smitty. And, and the fact, again, you've got to be in, on the dance floor to have a dance-off. And, and they've done that, so that's really good. And it just takes one or two players um, to, to have a good day. And they're a really good bowling team and good fielding team, actually, Smitty. I, I don't know if you've noticed. It's been a big work on for us as our agility and our movement and our fielding and, and our explosiveness. We're starting to see that. We've got some great young athletes coming through uh, in that under-19 side. Uh, Izzy Sharp, who's the captain, is a, is a wonderful athlete. She's a hockey player, a volleyball player, a water polo player. They, they all do it at that age. But um, expect to see them brilliant in the field and also very good because uh, they are very well performed in that area. And the other thing of interest too for women's cricket is uh, very shortly there will be the inaugural women's IPL, the inaugural women's IPL, uh, which is going to, two things, it's going to keep women players in the game longer and we have a lot of players in that bracket who might just want to hang around a wee bit longer because it's going to make some of them quite rich overnight because they're going in at quite a wealthy level, uh, some of these marquee players. Um, Who do you think will be in the frame there when that's announced very shortly? Oh, it's hard to know. It is, it's a massive thing, Smitty. I mean, you've got players now sitting there waiting to find out. First of all, they haven't announced who the teams are going to be aligned to. Um, I know that Mike Hesson, who's in charge of Forum, you know, they're trying to get a side in. So then all of a sudden they're going to have an auction within uh, a couple of weeks' time, which hopefully doesn't distract from the White Ferns because it's going to happen when they're over at the World Cup. But you could be looking at players now, Smitty, and we saw it at the men's games where... Sophie Devine could get half a million US dollars. Um, and, you know, when we talk about the Black Caps and Trent Bolt, this is, it's a, it's a massive change for the women's game. Um, and we're going to have athletes who are going to become mega wealthy uh, overnight. Uh, I've tried to do a deal, Smitty, actually. I've tried to tell Susie Bates that we're a combination. We're a duo. So wherever she goes, I have to come as the coach. Um, and also, if I go over and manage to become a coach, she comes with me. And what we do is we just share we share the wages, Smithy. So uh, I'm happy to go 50-50. We'll combine our pot. And um, we're, we're a duo, but she's not that keen on it for some reason. But um, it's uh, it's going to be massive. It really is. And it's a, it's a yeah. thing, Smithy, of the next generation coming through. Like, we're, we've got so much competition in sport when it comes to choices. And now we've got, you know, the, the black fur amazing last year and a whole lot of young um, girls are inspired to be black ferns you can be obviously silver ferns you can play hockey um, imagine now cricket because cricket's going to be the highest paid out of any of those sports so if you're a 16 17 year old young um, you know female playing cricket you could have a massive future smitty so a lot of pressure on that as well but it's, it's going to be game changing it really is and um, you know the landscape and that's what we talk about with the men Again, if they pick up this money, Smitty, do they take white contracts? Do they decide they want to be freelancers as opposed to being available? How will it affect mm. our domestic game, our, our um, white fits? It's going to be massive, and we're not going to know until it happens, but it's going to happen. 
Craig Cumming, always look forward to uh, your views. First time in the new year, and we've covered a lot of bases there uh, in a relatively short period of time. Thanks, mate. Uh, hope your day goes well. Great catching up. Thanks, buddy. Thanks, buddy. Cheers. Cheers. Uh, Craig Cumming, of course, um, former Black Cap, uh, involved heavily with uh, women's cricket down there in uh, Otago. Um, and uh, I still at some, some stage think he'll be uh, a very much uh, appreciated head coach as well um, of a national team, a national team. Uh, 9.25 here on SENZ. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. All right, uh, 9.30 here on SENZ. Uh, a couple of uh, texts have come in already about your wish list. Uh, how's this one from Brad? Guptill and Bolt to play in the World Cup. If they play, we're a chance. Two, the Highlanders go deep in Super Rugby. I'm pleasantly surprised and confident, hopeful after breakfast chats with their attack coach. Ooh, OK, inside info. Three, Man United make the top four. Alternatively, Spurs, Chelsea and Liverpool all miss out. And number four for Brad, my New York Knicks make the playoffs. My New York Knicks make the playoffs. So, Brad, thank you very much for that. I look forward to another one's coming and said, we'd love to see Conor McGregor back in action. He's real entertainment. And the Black Caps to win the World Cup. So uh, keep them coming in, and uh, we shall read them out on 8833. It's our temper bedpost text machine. Uh, We'll have the news, and when we come back, we'll begin our wish list for 2023. And it's so topical. Uh, fellas, is for New Zealand to discover a real viable contender in either men's or women's singles tennis, preferably both. That would be my number one. Yeah, I like that, Smithy. I mean, the first name that I think of is Ajit Rai, our number one tennis player at the moment. It's hard in New Zealand because we don't, well, I don't really think we have the facilities. We don't really have, like, say, the clay courts and stuff to then go over and dominate at, like, something like the French Open but that would be great to see you know I remember the days of like Marina Rakovic and stuff so to see more of that would be awesome my first one on my wish list for 2023 guys I'm going to the breakers and I'm kind of hopeful on this one because of the way they're playing at the moment under Modi Mayor I want them to win the ANBL championship for the first time since 2015 if you think back to those glory days where they won four titles in five seasons 2011, 12, 13, and 15. They're playing a defense-first mentality with a modern and with the way the modern game is going, where it's all offense, it's all about shooting three-pointers. It's feeling like a rarity, and like it's an old-school thought that defense wins championships, but we might see it here. And honestly, I just want to see the Breakers win one more championship for Tom Abercrombie. Sign him off on an incredible season with one more. Give our import stars a season to remember, and maybe they'll want to come back next year. And Brian, we can have more scenes like this. What can they get? Can they get a clean look? Beckway for the win! Pandemonium! Absolute scenes! Oh, the scenes, the scenes, Smithy. I was there that day on on the North Shore in sick. That was incredible. I just, I need more of it. Yep, wouldn't argue with that. Not for for one second. So, I like it. I like the breakers, and uh, I wish them all the very best. Brian, your number one. 
So for those of you uh, out there who don't know, this is the walkout music for Kaikara France. Now my number one wish for uh, this year is that uh, he wears the UFC flyweight championship belt by the end of 2023. Uh, he's got all the skills physically, recently showing that he has the mental game needed. He was he got done by a great shot and great technique uh, in the match for the interim title by Brendan Moreno, who just won the bout. So two fights, I believe he's fighting for the bout by the end of the year and will uh, we'll walk away in championship gold. And um, here's just a little bit of a clip I, I've got of him talking post a win in the UFC. When I was 10 years old, this was my dream to find the UFC at Spark Arena. So I can finally tick that off the bucket list. Look at that, a super proud New Zealander. And ready to go at it again this year. That's, yeah, here on the back of the neck, standing up sort of stuff. Brian, I like that. I like that. Kaikara France, who's doing great things uh, with the Warriors, we understand as well. Uh, shall we move through to number two? I, I, I can quite easily go through to number two now um, because it's uh, one of my great passions. And I remember all those days back where uh, Michael Campbell won the US Open. Uh, I would like a New Zealand golfer and either Michael Campbell, uh, not Michael Campbell, he's going back into the seniors' ranks. Um, but I would uh, quite like to see Ryan Fox or one of our golfers, Lydia Coe, or uh, even Stephen Olker again, uh, win a major golf tournament. That would be my wish. So 10 years from letting one open slip away, Michael Campbell is going to win the U.S. Open. Yeah, Smithy. That's it. That's it. Michael Campbell winning the US Open. I'll never forget that. I was uh, in Invercargill, actually. I think I was about to do a Lions game against the Southland or something of that nature, and uh, he won that tournament. I could not believe it. So, uh, yeah, Michael Campbell uh, bringing back memories there, but I would love to see a New Zealand golfer win a major this year. Oh, and I mean, we had an awesome 2022 following uh, the Kiwi golfers, so... I think that's a real prospect. I mean, Foxy could have another incredible year. I mean, imagine if he won the Masters. How incredible that oh. would be. Getting a, I think getting a little ahead of ourselves there. But we'll, we'll wait and see. My next one, I'm, like, I'm not going to say uh, it's our year for the Warriors. I want to be a little bit more realistic than that. You know, they finished uh, second to last on the NRL ladder last season. In comes a new coach with a familiar face with uh, Andrew Webster. There's new hope with players like Tamari Martin, Dylan Walker, CNK, Luke Metcalf, and Mitch Barnett joining the ranks. The Aussies, they're riding us off, Smithy. They're riding off the Warriors. I say us because we stand by them here at SNZ. They're predicting that they'll finish near the bottom of the ladder again. Webby's not calling it a rebuild, but in a way, that is exactly what it is. We're rebuilt, rebuilding the foundations, restoring the faith, and finally we have a full home and away season for the first time since the pandemic. The Warriors have made two grand finals. My wish list is to make the top eight, and when you've got guys like Stacey Jones still in the mix, maybe it can happen. Marsh combining with Jones after CU2, you gave them an opportunity. Here's Jones in his face. Jones is inside the 10. Jones scores. New Zealand are level. New Zealand are level. This wonderful halfback, Stacey Jones, has opened them up after CUCU had provided the opportunity.
opportunity. That was the 2000, uh, 2002 grand final. We don't need to go into any further what happened after that try. Uh, <laughs> supporting this team is a bit of a roller coaster, Smithy, but it's well worth a ride. So jump on board now and let's get behind the New Zealand Warriors. Okay, Brian. Smithy, my team, mm. once we're Warriors. And this year, all I ask is that they compete for 80 minutes, week in, week out. That's all I want. I want I want to see them compete. Because if they do compete, Logan's wish may come true. And we may be seeing finals footy again. On paper, they've got a pretty good team. Maybe missing a little bit of bulk. Maybe I should do a cycle and uh, go trial out. I've got the height. But we need something there. We need something, we need results, and we need effort this season from the one New Zealand Warriors, Smithy. I want to, I, I don't want to hear, and this is not part of my wish list, but I, this is a non-wish list, I do not want to hear any coach or anyone to, anyone to do with the Warriors say these words, they do not look like they want to be out there. You get my drift. They do... They, they look like they don't want to I, I don't want to hear that They look like they don't want to be out there If I hear that I think uh, alarm bells will be ringing Really good fellas Okay, I like that Now we'll be back uh, a little bit later in the morning With parts 3 and 4 But uh, yeah, interesting 9.44 here on SCNZ Back shortly It's in agriculture Covering your equipment, parts and service needs To help you succeed in your field Summer or winter He's the voice of sport in Aotearoa this is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. You got to know when to hold up. Know when to fold up. Smithy's multi. Know when to walk away. And know when to run. Bet live on your favourite sports. Download the TAB app today. Well, Sebastian Corder let us down yesterday. I thought he was quite weak, actually, to be perfectly honest. They have all these... Uh, Backup staff and coaches, etc., warm up people that uh, get them absolutely primed from uh, the first serve. Um, he dropped his uh, first uh, serve, he, he lost the first set, and then uh, he never really looked like it, Sebastian Corder. So, disappointing from him. Uh, Hushinoff, I think, is a viable prospect going forward as well. Big, powerful man with a great serve. So, uh, he was uh, far too good for him in the end, and uh, it was a walkover because uh, Corder gave up three love down in the third set. Uh, Rob Akina won, she beat Ostapenko uh, at a buck 44 and uh, India did beat New Zealand in the cricket, we know that now but uh, certainly uh, without quarter we were done and dusted. Uh, we'll stay with the uh, Australian Open today and uh, the women's side of the draw will go to Pliskova to beat Lynette at $1.58 Pliskova to beat uh, Lynette one fifty-eight. Big bash tonight uh, Hobart Hurricanes against uh, the Brisbane Heat. The Heat have been bolstered with the return of uh, Kawaja of course and La Bichane. But uh, the Hobart Hurricanes, I feel, with a bit of a home advantage, might be just a bit too powerful for them at $1.78. On that subject, isn't Steve Smith going well? My goodness me, Steve Smith, absolutely amazing. Uh, Cleveland Cavaliers this afternoon to beat the New York Knicks at $1.62. So uh, Plushkova into the Hurricanes, into the Cavaliers. Uh, that will multi up at $4.55. Quite reasonable, actually. Uh, pretty happy uh, for that one to come through. We've got uh, a lot of texts uh, have, that have come in too with your wish list. Uh, good morning, Smithy Warriors, all day long. I just wanted them to be better. 
and look like we're going somewhere and top eight would be nice not too much to ask for right and the black caps to win the world cup uh, from uh, anthony in rotorua uh, top four from ken blues to win super rugby all blacks to win the world cup st george dragons to win the nrl and dalton papali'i to be named all black captain good on you ken ever the optimist good on you man um also uh, we've got one from Mark in Christchurch. Mark says uh, Rublev, Andre Rublev, to win the Australian Open. Uh, interesting. E- Everton to stay in the Premier League. Chance, now that they've sacked uh, Frank Lampard. Quite often when you sack a coach, uh, the team has a turnaround, regardless of the ability of the incoming coach. It just seems to happen that way. Uh, so Lampard gone, Everton in danger, but to stay in the Premier League. Crusaders to win Super Rugby. Well, goes without saying, Mark, doesn't it, really? Why would you have to put that on your wish list? That's your, that's your just will happen list. Uh, Black Caps to win the World Cup. Uh, three out of four ain't bad. Three out of four ain't bad. Yeah, good on your mark. Thanks very much for that. Uh, we'll be back for very shortly here on SENZ in the mornings. All winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Yeah, it's been a good subject, actually, on the, the text line. Your wish list for New Zealand sport in 2023. Uh, Jeff, the ref has come in and said uh, Highlanders, uh, Highlanders to win the Super Rugby final against the Crusaders. The All Blacks to beat England in the Rugby World Cup final. The Warriors to make the final. And Foxy to win a major. Not asking for much, Jeff, but it is a wish list. I've got to say, it is a wish list. But uh, the Warriors to make the final. Wow. That would be the greatest turnaround in the history of sport if they were able to do that. Uh, oh, look. Uh, Naki, uh, chop from the Naki. Chop says, Hi Smith, there's only one thing I wish for. The Naki to win NPC scenes like 2014. Unbelievable. So that's uh, Chop from uh, the Naki. Good luck, mate. Good luck on that. Um, Mike from Torangi is coming on a different subject. Uh, why was uh, Doug Bracewell not used? And, and is it true that Gary Stead had returned home before the series started? If so, it's a disgrace. Well, uh, <coughs> they take time out these days. Um, uh, Gary, so I think it's a, a really good reason too while we look at uh, or where we can should consider to uh, keep looking at the possibility of different coaches in different formats for cricket. Uh, I, I really do because the workload on one coach to do every tour, uh, every tournament, every particular match uh, is just too much. It's just too much mentally, it's too much physically, uh, even from a coaching point of view. So I, I really do think there's scope for that and maybe we're heading in that direction. Uh, because we've got Luke Ronke over there in charge of this New Zealand side at the moment, um, along with Bob Carter, who is back in the fold, it seems. Uh, so uh, look, it looks uh, it looks interesting. And for the Doug Bracewell thing, yeah, I'm with you, actually. Dougie Bracewell, big Doug Bracewell fan, is an all-round cricketer. Uh, I think his uh, batting is better than uh, perhaps even Doug knows it is. Um, his bowling is consistent enough and uh, he won't let you down in the field. I think Doug Bracewell is a genuine uh, all-round cricketer and has been for a long period of time and perhaps hasn't been given the run uh, that he should have. Perhaps if he lived in Canterbury, he might have. Uh, look, in the, next, uh, in the next hour, we'll do the NBA, I think. Yes, we will. With George Berry, who's an NBA punter, we'll have a panel with Andrew Gordy and Sam Ackerman. Um, and we'll also have... Um, other things uh, leading into the news including talking to Louis Herman Watt it's a race day being a Wednesday afternoon coming up to 10 o'clock in Aroha with our update 
Brandt are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, we're nearing 50 games into the NBA regular season. The trade deadline is just around the corner, February 9th to be exact. And while some teams have their eyes on the playoffs with uh, the Celts and the 76ers leading the charge in the Eastern Conference and Nuggets and uh, the Grizzlies uh, going well in the West. Yes, that's right. Stephen Adams and the Grizzlies. Other teams might be looking to sell or to trade. Uh, joining us now, I understand the Lakers have just made one uh, recently as well, an interesting one to talk about that and other NBA matters as uh, our regular pundit, George Berry. George, good morning to you. Thanks for your time. Smithy, how are you, mate? Yeah, very, very good, uh, mate. And Stephen Adams, let's start with him. He got into uh, a bit of a drama over the weekend with the NFL uh, Hall of Famer Shannon Sharp. He was more a peacemaker, wasn't he? What was that all about? Yeah, a bit of an interesting one. Shannon Sharp, um, yeah, as you say, he's he's an NFL Hall of Famer. He's uh, a Fox Sports pundit over in America, and he's LeBron James's biggest fan sitting, sitting courtside there. And looked like he was exchanging words with some Grizzlies players. And Stephen Adams is known as kind of the head of security within that team, and he was just doing his job. Just went over and made sure everything was okay, kept the peace. And, um, yeah, you can see videos of, you know, staff and, you know, medical team trying to hold Stephen back, but it's just no chance. Like they, they were trying everything to like using all their might and force to push him back, and there's just no chance. Um, but yeah, he, he seemed pretty fired up. Pretty unlike Stephen Adams to get that fired up. It was um, quite a quite a new thing to see, um, and he's really buying into this Memphis team culture that they've got going, and they're kind of being seen as the villains of the NBA at the moment, and they're, they're really buying into that, and that's kind of being reflected in their results and yes Stephen's really buying into it which is cool to see you haven't you've seen him perform very well and very solidly and nail his role over the years but I've never really seen him buy into a team culture as much as he is now which is really cool to see not just Stephen Adams though I mean he's had an impressive start to the season as such but uh, 31 and 16 suggests a pretty good handy all-round Grizzlies outfit for sure for sure they've They've drafted very well in the last few years, obviously getting Jar Morant with the number two pick, who I believe was like a two or three star recruit coming out of high school and college. And, you know, Memphis saw the talent and, and now they're reaping the rewards. They've just, they've built very, very strong pieces like Desmond Bain. And they almost are a bit of a young Golden State Warriors. Um, they've built really good shooters, really solid pieces, solid veterans like Adams. Um, Jaron Jackson is their power forward, who, um, he sometimes gets up to six blocks a game and he plays about 26 minutes and he looks like he might be a front-runner defensive player of the year. So, yeah, like I said, they've drafted very well um, and they've got some really amazing homegrown talent um, along with some good veteran pieces around there too. So, yeah, and the record the record shows and Devin continues to lead the league in offensive rebounding. A wee stat that I found was that the, the Grizzlies get 5.6 second-chance points per game Stephen Adams' offensive rebounds, and might not sound like a lot, but when it's a close game, 
5.6 points can win you a game, or especially in, in the, when it comes to playoffs. That's pretty impressive. There's no doubt about that. Uh, let's look at the the Bucks now and uh, Giannis Antetokounmpo uh, turning uh, returning to their lineup after a five game absence uh, with a sore a sore left knee and uh, shooting 100 percent of the first quarter, 20 out of his 29 points there. Middleton backing up well. Uh, Milwaukee uh, did Milwaukee cope without their two stars uh, in the lineup? Yeah, Milwaukee's a bit of an interesting team to be honest, Smithy. I, um, I mean, they put a, a 150 points against the Pistons, but I'm pretty sure the Canby Rams could put on about 120 against that Pistons team, to be quite honest. But, I mean, it's good to see the stars back, um, especially Giannis. You know, he is a, a massive centrepiece of the NBA, and, you know, the NBA is entertainment first, you know, first and foremost for people around the world. The, the thing that concerns me a little bit about the Bucks is the Celtics are looking extremely solid with younger pieces. And the Bucks actually have, on average, the oldest team in the league. Their average age is 29. Um, and that, they have got a lot of old veterans, which you know could pay dividends when it comes to the playoffs with a lot of experience, but it also could be their downfall. I mean, if Giannis gets injured again, especially in the playoffs, their chances are very, very slim of of making it you know, to, to a finals or you know, lifting up another title. So it'll be a very, very interesting uh, kind of second half of the season for the Bucks If they can get in the playoffs and make some noise, then brilliant. If not, then it might be a very interesting off-season to watch for them. Well, yesterday uh, the Lakers made a trade. I just uh, hinted at that with uh, Rui Hashimura from the uh, the Wizards for Kendrick Nunn and three second-round draft picks. Uh, is that a pretty high price to pay? Not at all, actually. Um, two of the second-round picks um, the Lakers acquired via trade, so they're not really their own picks. They just gave away one of their own second-rounders, and they gave away Kendrick Nunn, who kind of isn't really in their rotation. So... Essentially, um, from what I'm reading, pundits overseas are saying that, uh, they just gave away Kendrick Nunn for Rui Hachimura, and Rui Hachimura is a better player than Kendrick Nunn. Uh, he's a really solid, young 25-year-old. The Wizards essentially just kind of gave up on him in terms of what they're trying to do, and he just didn't really fit in their rotation. He's a good offensive player, could be a little bit better defensively, but he was the ninth pick in the 2019 NBA draft. I mean, he's, he's got really good potential and talent. And it sounds like the Lakers want to start him next to um, LeBron and Anthony Davis in their front court. So I think it's a good wee pick-up. I mean, there's other moves that the Lakers should be looking to do if they're really wanting to you know, maximise LeBron James's, you know, final years of his career and, and try to get another title. But this is a good start, for sure. George, uh, producer Logan here. I think uh, Smithy's just having a few issues there with uh, his headset. Uh, the other day, the Lakers were down uh, by 25 points against the Trailblazers. What do you think was the difference maker there to spark such a dramatic turnaround for them? G'day, Logan. Uh, yeah, I think it's just um, apparently in that half time, the head coach Darvin Ham just walked in and said, you guys sort this out, and just walked out, and the players kind of just figured out what they were going to do. So I think it was just the players actually realising that they really needed to turn something around, and they probably came up with a bit of a cunning plan, and it seemed to work, and Real players like Patrick Beverley, who, although he doesn't fill out the stat sheet, he, um, he's a hothead, and he was getting into a lot of players' heads like Damian Lillard. Um, so maybe that could have helped too, a bit of mind games. Um, but yeah, I think they just worked out a, a bit of a, a plan that needed to be very urgent and, and straight away, and it seemed, to, it seemed to pay off. And those kind of wins, those scrappy wins, big comebacks, uh, are very much needed for a team like the Lakers to kind of get some morale going into the second half of the season. 
Of course, uh, LeBron James, he's chasing greatness as he likes to do. He's on the verge of breaking uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar's record as the NBA's, NBA's all-time leading scorer. He only needs 224 points to get there as of today. With how high-scoring NBA games are currently, just how soon do you think he could take that record? Well, I've done some research. I'm hoping Smithy's listening to this too because I know he likes to put a punt on. And for anyone that's wanting to punt, I don't know, can you bet on this? Maybe. But if you can, I think you should lock in February 9th. It says on on the NBA tracker that it's, it's looking like it would be February 7th based on him averaging 27.7 points a game, which is crazy because he's 38 and he's in his 20th season. But I think he'll wait until February 9th because, A, it's at home in L.A., um, all the stars will be there. It'll be packed. It's on TNT, which is, you know, one of the biggest networks to, to screen NBA games. And yeah, it's against the Bucks. You know, Giannis, a big star, and it's the team where Kareem Abdul-Jabbar started his career. So I think there's too many storylines in there, not for LeBron to kind of aim and circle for February ninth. And I think if he's close, I think he'll just rest against the Oklahoma City Thunder on the seventh. And I think he'll just do all it takes to to make it happen at home and. Yeah, what I'm hoping that'll be, it'll be absolutely packed with celebrities. The the lights will be bright, and that's just what LeBron wants, really. Oh, 100%, 100%. And, I mean, even today, the Lakers, they, up, they go up against the Clippers, you know, the, the LA rivals there. They're both, they're both competing. Who do you see taking that out this afternoon? Oh, Kawhi Leonard is playing really, really well at the moment. In his last eight games, I think he's averaging about 30 points, which is kind of going under the radar because he never really plays. And the Clippers just a bit of a weird team. Uh, I think their kind of load management experiment they've done over the last four or five years has kind of not really paid dividends for them at all, to be honest. And and that's probably a a reason why teams aren't looking to do the same thing. Uh, I think uh, probably the Clippers will probably take that out. Anthony Davis is still not back. He might be back this week. But uh, based off just how Kawhi's playing, I think Kawhi might take that out. But I mean, despite those two LA teams being kind of the centerpiece of California, the Sacramento Kings are actually the best team in the Californian kind of region. They're better than the Warriors, better than both Lakers teams. They're third in the West, and they're about to make the playoffs for the first time in something like 16 years. Um, so I'm really stoked for the Clippers, and hopefully they can get a couple of All-Stars in the, in the, uh, in the game too. Yeah, I mean, the fact that the Sacramento Kings are performing as well as they are, you know, they've struggled for years. It kind of blows my mind, especially now at the moment when you see the Golden State Warriors struggling. I mean, halfway through the season, I think it's fair to say that they've been average at best 23-24 record on the road. They've been atrocious, 6-18. and Is this kind of the sign that the Golden Era under Stephen Kerr is over? I think it's on its way out, to be honest, Logan. And Draymond Green has even said that himself. He said that this could probably be the final year that we have a, a real run at this. You know, realistically, they're not going to probably be able to pay all those stars unless they go into a massive amount of luxury tax, which, I mean, they could do. But it kind of does seem like this, this dynasty is coming to an end, similar mm. to, you know, Michael Jordan and the Bulls. You know, all good things come to an end. And I think this might be coming to an end. Um, whether it's this season or next, I'm not sure. I think Draymond Green would be the, the first card to fall just based on the character he is. And um, he's very much bigger than basketball. He likes <laughs> to you know, um, be a big media personality and stuff. And, you know, maybe somewhere like LA or another bigger franchise might be somewhere where he can catapult that career as well as his basketball career. So, yeah, I think cards will begin to fall. And, um, yeah, I don't know about the Warriors. They're so good at home, but maybe they're just cruising until they know it's 
it's time to turn it on. Who knows? But um, I still don't rule them out to make some noise in the playoffs. Um, I really don't, especially with Steph Curry as your leader. Look, George, we all know that the the two words Draymond and Green remain dirty words here in New Zealand and forever <laughs> will be. Uh, the trade deadline, though, is looming. We've been talking about February 9. Uh, do you see, you know I'm a Toronto Raptors fan, Look, they haven't been the greatest this season. Uh, do you see them being sellers and blowing up parts of that roster? I think they should. Uh, I think I mean, they've got uh, Gary Trent Jr. on an expiring contract who is still, I think he's 24. It feels like he's been in the league for about 15 years, but he's he's younger than me, which is crazy. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I think they should move him. I think OG Ananobi, apparently there was an offer for three first-round draft picks for OG Ananobi today, which is crazy. So I don't know why the Raptors aren't taking that. They really should be. Well, that's my opinion. I don't know how you feel about OG, but um, I think three round, three first-round draft picks, I don't know how you can turn that down, even if you're a, a contending team. I don't know. What are your thoughts? Well, I mean, there's a lot of love for the Raptors uh, organization for OG. So, I mean, I can see them being emotional and hanging on to it, but... Who knows? Uh, Masai and Jerry may not want to go that far. We'll see. Uh, but who else, uh, just quickly, do you think could be big movers at the deadline? Oh, the Clippers sound like they want to get some some point guard action, maybe a Kyle Lowry. Even Fred Van Vliet's name's been thrown around. I don't think he'll be moved, to be honest. But the Clippers always like to do some sort of move at the trade deadline. I think just watch out for contending teams who... I don't think any big names will be dealt in this deadline. I think it'll just be small role players who need a fresh change or just at the back of a rotation on a rebuilding team. I think there will just be some contending teams who are just looking to bolster up their squad a little bit and will get some role players. But I really don't think there will be any big names. But again, it's the NBA. Who knows, Liberal could be traded tomorrow morning. <laughs> well, that would cause some uh, headlines. George Berry, he's uh, risen NBA pundit, mate. It's always great to have you on. Thanks for your time. Cheers, fellas. Have a good one. We'll go ahead and uh, hopefully wear Smithy's kit back up and running and we'll be back after the break with the panel with Andrew Gordy and Sam Ackerman. Insightful, educational and sometimes a ruthless opinion is what I love about working with him. And of course, he's got the grassroots mail. The real good stuff from the regions. Jump on board with Izzy and Kempi for breakfast from 6am every day and you won't regret it. Let's go, Uncle. I'm not a religious man, but one pastor who I do listen to is Ian Stockley-Smith. Smithy Sermon, about five past nine every morning, Monday to Friday, here on SENZ. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. It is Andrew Gordy with us this morning and uh, Sam Ackerman, uh, two very powerful men in the New Zealand media setup. And uh, Andrew Gordy, if I could start with you, please, uh, to look at uh, cricket and the Black Caps uh, beaten handsomely again last night, conceding uh, close to 400 runs in a one-day international. Staggering. Um, what have you made of this little uh, jaunt to India so far? Morning, Smithy. Morning, Sammy. Uh, morning to all the listeners. Uh, great to be back um, with you guys uh, in the new year. Um, Smithy, I've never been described as powerful. Um, you clearly haven't seen Jim or anything like that. So um, no, I appreciate that, uh, especially coming from you, mate. Um, this jaunt to India has been a bit of a disaster, hasn't it? It's been a reality check. Um, not, not 
really suggesting for a moment that I think Black Caps fans have check because I think this has just confirmed really what we already knew, and that is that this Black Caps team is going through quite an alarming decline at the moment. Um, I think in all areas of the game, Test one day, T20, and we all know the reasons why. They've, they've, they're a team that very successful in recent years, but that team got old. Some of them retired. Some of them have chosen to leave their contracts. And now we're saying the next tier looks like. And shock me, it's not that flash. And it can't really be a great surprise to anyone. It's something that we've known um, New Zealand cricket fans for forever and a day that sometimes performance at domestic level doesn't translate to international level. We've seen it time and time again. And look, I'm not suggesting for a moment that some of the that we've seen uh, in India in particular, I suppose, uh, um, over, this, over this series will not reach that mark. It's quite clear that at this moment they are not there. I was talking power in terms of your mental capacity, Andrew, which we're very <laughs> pleased to have. Very pleased to have back. <laughs> Sam, Sam, good morning to you. Um, my concerns um, are this: whether this is a slight payback for India not sending their best players over to us for a, a series, so denying them the likes of uh, Southey and Williamson and Co. Or uh, here we are coming up to a World Cup in those conditions. And uh, our head coach and our key players um, there getting ready for that tournament with an opportunity to prepare in those conditions. But uh, I find it just a little bit strange, Sam. Yeah, it's, it's an unusual one. Good morning, you, Smithy, and you, uh, Andrew. Hope you're well, mate. Uh, the, the concept for me of, of a second string um, team touring uh, India is. It feels unusual because it's uh, it should be viewed as one of the pinnacles to uh, do test yourself in those conditions. Uh, and by those conditions, I don't just mean uh, weather and pitch. I mean the, the fans and uh, and the environment that you play in there. This is a, a team that, all by all rights, should be losing to India at home. And we've seen near full strength New Zealand teams lose to India at home. So we shouldn't be stunned uh, at the result. The, the the margin, as you mentioned, was 400 runs and the way they were accumulating those runs as well. There's obviously things that are concerned there. And uh, I, I'm with Andrew about the, the concept of where this team uh, is at and we should all be very realistic about it. There could be an argument that you could have blooded more of these players through into the national team, given them more time and responsibility during some of the previous years. But I'd argue that New Zealand wouldn't have achieved the heights they did if they weren't prepared to say, we want to excel and we want to dominate now. Now, no one will be able to take those achievements away from New Zealand. We have a good playing pool. We don't have the deepest uh, playing pool. And I think making the most of what you have uh, is crucial. A very interesting stage in what will be a very interesting year of cricket, but I'm I'm far from surprised by um, the results with uh, with what was sent, uh, and I, I I personally wouldn't have passed an opportunity if New Zealand cricket actively and genuinely said, well, we're going to show India by sending a a, a second rate team to um, to their shores because that's what they did to us, then that's just blind stupidity. I mean, do you think the Indian fans? Uh, sitting around wailing and being upset, they're just watching. They're loving seeing their team put 400 on a, on a uh, team in a one day. So, uh, I, to me, it's a uh, um, if there's anything petty behind there, it's only going to blow up in New Zealand's face, not India's. Okay, uh, good points here, uh, Sam. I'll stay with you. Um, you you look at uh, tackling a lot, particularly in the NRL. But 
uh, this proposed new waste down tackling laws um, is being slammed now for changing the nature of the game and also uh, not really taking their danger element out with their heads being exposed to knees etc and thighs and hips uh, what's your view on this Sam? The knees are as dangerous, if not more so, than the uh, the shoulders, in my opinion. Uh, it also changes the complete structure of the game. Listen, I am absolutely 100% for anything that will lead to uh, players, be them amateur professional, having less exposure to their uh, heads being uh, you know, damaged and, and, and concussion. I mean, a head knock to me, I always feel, is a, a phrase that talks down the, the severity of what this can be, so I try not to use it. But the, the damage that can be done around there can be long-lasting, and just for playing a game, certainly at those uh, those younger levels, even if prepared to do, you know, make that your career, you're trying to make it what you can before uh, you know, a, a kind of injury that can affect the rest of your life. So I'm all for it. That said, I don't think this is the answer because if you're sending people down to tackle below the waist, that's not an area that many of these players who are training uh, are going to be playing under the system would have been trained how to tackle them. They've been trained to wrap up the ball, go for the body. So right now the rules change. What's the training doing? What, what are you doing to protect them uh, through that concept? It'll be a free-flowing game. Uh, offloads will come um, fast and furious, and, and that could be a good thing to view, absolutely. But I think that it's far, you know, the waist is quite a lot <laughs> further down than the head. Uh, it's a bit of a radical concept for me, but I, I personally would say let's try one competition where every jersey needs to have a line that goes literally across the uh, the chest through, you know, by the by the the nipple area, and you've got to tackle there and down. It's a visual line for people to look at, for the referees to see, to make an easier call on. Uh, and when you're aiming your tackle, you're literally seeing something that can come with it to um, bring the uh, the tackle area down. But it, it's it's too far for me. I don't think it's going to work. It does change the uh, fabric of the game too much. Uh, and I'm not convinced that it's going to be a reduction in injuries. The research that they have found says that, oh, there's a reduction of those that go tackling down, um, down below the waist. Well, that's not until you throw every tackle down below the waist, and then there'll be an increase. It's, to me, it's flawed. OK, interesting. Uh, and uh, I like that concept, too, of the line on the jersey. Uh, Gords, how, how do you see it? Yeah, it's, it's interesting that. I actually heard someone else uh, raise that very same idea yesterday about the lining on the jersey. I think that's actually a really good idea. It's easily something that uh, you know jersey manufacturers could include um, when, when designing jersey. And that would be, I think, a really meaningful way of uh, rugby officials, I suppose, showing we're trying to do something here. And that's, that's really what this all comes back to. Like whether you settle on the sternum like New Zealand rugby have or the waist like RFU have, all this is about is trying to protect their asses, right? They're trying to sort of reduce the liability, I suppose, so that they can say, we tried. We were doing something. We know that this is an issue. We acknowledge it's an issue, but we're doing our best to, to minimise harm. But I just feel like at, at, at the same time, they're playing really fast and loose with the game as a spectacle and as a form of entertainment because it is going to fundamentally change the way the game is played and I'm less than convinced that it's actually going to lead to a reduction in concussions because all you're doing is, is forcing players to tackle uh, a particular area and yeah, we're going to see more knee-to-head contacts and things like that. You'll just increase uh, a form of contact, I suppose, between the ball carrier and the tackler. So... I think, it, like Sam says, and I totally agree, it's, I understand what they're doing, but it's a deeply flawed con- concept. 
and I, I can't see this the answer. Uh, I've got visions of uh, Caleb Clark and that massive size that Caleb Clark has got running into halfbacks who are now required not to target the ball area and wait for some help, uh, but to hit him first up around about knee or thigh area. Uh, <laughs> crunch. Uh, we'll be back in a second, uh, fellas. We've got to Sam Ackerman and uh, Andrew Gordy with us. It's time for a quick news break with uh, Aroha. Big talk, big opinions, the panel. Sam Ackerman with us this morning, as is uh, Andrew Gordy. And uh, Andrew, I think it's uh, fair to say that Novak Djokovic off the court cannot win. Last year he wasn't even really allowed into Australia, or he was, and and he got kicked out very smartly. Uh, The other thing now, of course, um, people are suspecting he's uh, he's got a ruse with an injury, etc. I think he's just about had enough, hasn't he? Yeah, I, I think you're right. The funny look, I'll, I'll, I'll declare this right now. I'm no fan of Novak Djokovic. I, I find him a really difficult character to stomach. But <laughs> it reminds me of that line uh, out of Anchorman, isn't it? I hate you, Ryan Burgundy, but boy, do I respect you. It's uh, it's kind of like that for me. You c- you cannot not respect Novak Djokovic and his his ability. He is quite clearly. Uh, the standout player, I think, in the world. I will be stunned if he doesn't win this tournament. Um, and I just think in time we're going to reflect and go, this guy was absolutely one of the greatest players, possibly even the greatest player to ever play the game. Um, and uh, I know about some of our thoughts will need to be revisited on the bloke as a character, but you can't deny that he's a fantastic player. What about you, Sam? Where do you sit with good old Novak, the Joker? You need Novaks in this world. You can't just have guys like Roger Federer that you you have to love all the time. He might not might not want to be the guy, but he fits the villain role so well. He's just he's perfect to have in that sense where he's like, I'm the good guy. Everyone's going, No, you're not. He, he brings a theatre to it. He is absolutely copying uh, copying abuse or um, attention that no one else is. And as he said, anyone else gets an injury, they're the victim. I've I've got an injury and I'm faking it. You know like what. What can he do in that environment? But he's, uh, he's slowly... T- you can see this is like a part of the Star Wars uh, prequel trilogy. You can slowly see his turn towards the dark side where he's pretty much saying to... I remember what you said about me last year. Boom, I'm losing five games and knocking you out of, the, out of here in straight sets in front of your home crowd. Anything else you want to say? You can see the slow, like, OK, if, they, if I'm the bad guy, then I'll be the bad guy. Slowly, it's, it's kicking in. His talent, is, as Gord said, is absolutely undeniable. And if, it would be beyond a shock if he doesn't win uh, this tournament. And I just can't wait to see the look on his face when he does. Oh, he pushes the buttons of so many people. When you watch him, you see him play and... Uh, and, and some people just, just get riled up just by his sheer presence and his, uh, his routine. So, yeah, I, I, I think he's great for the sport to have right now because without a, a Kyrgios in the tournament and without this kind of, like, is it going to be Rafa or is it going to be Roger and, like, that top level of incredible talent, you need somebody who at least brings some kind of storyline impetus to a, a, a tournament like this. And I've, I've been loving watching him go. And you can't... You, you can't deny he's good. You can't deny he's great. Is he the greatest ever? Numbers will tell eventually, but he'll never be acknowledged for that because he's not loved enough, and that'll always drive this narrative along. Actually, make a good point there, um, Sam, and, and Gordes, I'll bring you in on, on this as well because you've taken Serena Williams, uh, who was, uh, whilst absolutely magnificent tennis player, was always perceived as uh, a little bit evil, 
um, and and also you've you've got Jacob. As you take these people out, I mean, the rest coming through, unbelievably talented, but pretty bland. Is that fair? Yeah, look, I mean, if we're if we're just talking about talent at the moment, um, he's he's head and shoulders, isn't he? But like, I mean, you go back to the Serena point. I still think there were people who loved Serena. Like she was she was particularly loved in America, I think, um, and and even and even when she played at Wimbledon and whatnot. But she always had that in her, didn't she, to to spike um, or to have a go at, at an umpire and come across like a bit of a sook when things weren't going her way. Whereas with Djokovic, I think there's, there's other, other elements at play, at play here. And I, I suppose the question I was just asking myself what, when we were talking about that is, is there really anywhere in the world, and I suppose I'm talking about the Grand Slam circuit, where the crowds genuinely love Novak Djokovic? And I don't think the answer is yes. I think of a place where I, I can't imagine that Novak himself thinks, oh, I'm really looking forward to going to Flushing Meadows, or I'm really looking forward to going to Roland Garros or Wimbledon or, or Melbourne, because I just don't think he has that, that relationship uh, with, with the fans anywhere, probably apart from his, his home nation. Um, and I, just, I do wonder how he might reflect on that in time, whether he's bothered by that or whether he's purely just about winning Grand Slam titles and, you know, the, the stats telling the story for themselves. But, um, yeah... And like Sam says, I love a pantomime villain as much as everyone else. Like, I, personally, I love what Nick Kyrgios brings to the tennis circuit. A little bit different. Um, and I think we've seen from time to time as well with uh, Daniel Medvedev, uh, with, especially with this Australian crowd as well. But, you know, I, I'm sort of thinking to myself, in a day's time, if Novak Djokovic wins the Australian Open final, what sort of reception is he going to get from the crowd? Because it's not going to be a popular victory. I can't see it. Uh, just finally, too, um, this is an interesting one, Sam Ackerman, and that is the NRL um, and this collective bargaining agreement. Uh, where do you see this finishing up, or do you see it finishing up in time for the start of a regular season? Uh, look, the short answer is I do see it finishing up um, because the NRL are famous for dragging things to the last minute and miraculously having an answer, uh, you know, the day that the ball's about to be kicked type of thing. So I'm, I'm not sweating on it and uh, a sport like rugby league if you've if you've been a, a passionate league man who's gone through the super league war and all this kind of the insane things that happened uh, during that period in the 90s and early 2000s then this this is just feels like yeah okay I can see I can see that coming again uh, and it's it is it is mental um, that they won't uh, stand down but I will remind you who's in charge of the NRL Peter Volandis is, uh, has been, done a wonderful thing to get game going through the pandemic. He's forthright. He makes decisions, and by hell, he's not going to back down from them. Uh, I just can't see him caving uh, in the context of okay, players association, association, have you like? I think he's more likely to say, you know, give me the ball. I'll play, my, I'll play myself. We'll get, we'll get, the, we'll get the front staff uh, taking on the caterers, and we're still going to have a game. The game will go on. He's, he's that pig-headed that I can't see him folding. But the players are taking a stance on things that are actually re- worth taking a stance on as well, and. Some it's easy to paint it out as greed, but they're talking about wanting having funds, uh, more funds for uh, player hardships and those who retire because of injury and need to have support and get surgeries. Like instead of, instead of having a 12-month window to get every surgery you need to get fixed after.
after putting your body on the line for the game. Uh, you can have an extended period, uh, more help for concussions. Uh, the first ever collective bargaining agreement for the women. So the, these women's players, are, are, for example, coming to the uh, the All-Stars game in, uh, in Rotorua next month, and uh, anyone who plays is playing without comprehensive insurance because they they're not covered under a bargaining agreement or clubs right now because no one's signed to one. That's the way their competition works. So they're you know, putting their bodies on the line literally to be able to play the game. Uh, I'll I tell you what I love. My favourite in, in, in this soap opera as well is uh, the Americans have offered to uh, to come through and play the American Rugby League and you know all 160 players that we're going to play and then come over and break that picket line uh, and play for a quarter of the money they said. So they're all, they're happy and, and the, you know it's from teams like the was it the, uh, the San Francisco Savage, um, the Salt Lake City Spartans, uh, and the North Bay Warriors. So there's still be a Warriors in the comp if, uh, if needed as well for us to cheer and be disappointed by, uh, should that be necessary. We might make the top eight, if that's the case. Um, okay. Uh, <laughs> S- S- Sam Ackerman and Andrew Gordy, great fun on the panel this morning, uh, gents, uh, with your forthright views as well. Appreciate it. We'll have another uh, panel uh, tomorrow morning, 10.41 here on SENZ. NZ app. Download it today and never miss a moment of your favourite show. Streaming live anywhere, anytime. anytime. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's been years in the we have been doing our wish list. Uh, number three for me this morning is uh, quite a simple one, really. I, I don't expect them to, to win the Football World Cup. I, I, I probably don't even expect them to make uh, too far into the playoffs. But what I want to see is the football fans to play with great credibility on the biggest stage here at home. That's all I'm asking, great credibility. I don't want to see them getting beaten 4, 5, 6, 0 on their own backyard. That's what I wish for. Being realistic, I like that, Smithy. I don't know if my next one is uh, after <laughs> the results overnight and the Black Caps are falling to fourth in the ODI rankings, but I want to see them go one further and win an ICC Cricket World Cup 2015. Black Caps made the final but lost to Australia by seven wickets at the MCG. But who could forget this moment? And then something happened in 2019. We don't need to talk about that. So that all I can say is, New Zealand, can you make it uh, three three times, three times a charm? I want to see you in the final. Let's do it. Okay, yeah. Brian. Let's do it all right. Now, uh, mine just quickly, my favourite team of all time to ever grace this planet. Uh, I want to see them return home more. Here's a little uh, clip to clue you in. Kiwis too good in this return home. Now they don't play at home near enough, especially Australia and things like that. We need more international rugby league tests and we need to stop worrying about things like origin so much on this side of the Tasman. Okay, that's interesting, Brian. Some people might wish for an origin game here, but you want the Kiwis you want the Kiwis back home, yeah? Yeah, Kiwis, Kiwis all day. 
Kiwis on the wish list. Okay, so uh, that's uh, all very good. We'll have uh, number four in the next hour of our uh, 2023 wish list. Keep them coming in. Uh, in fact, uh, Zane has come in and said, Is Israel to beat old mate and get the title back? That uh, be Israel Adesanya. Lydia Koda will uh, be number one and win a major. Foxy to finish the DP tour at number one and catch up with Smithy for a nudge at Bridge Park. Don't mind that. I think uh, number four is definitely uh, on the possibility there, Zane. I like that idea. Uh, Sean says Bolt for the World Cup and Finn Allen to deliver on his potential. That's his uh, wishes. Uh, wish list um, also. Uh, Hawks Bay to win the Shield back. <laughs> Uh, All Blacks to drop uh, TJ for good. Gary Stead to retire from the Black Caps coaching team. Conor McGregor to retire and stand for Irish Parliament would be a thing to behold him doing something, uh, a serious press conference. That would be interesting, wouldn't it? Uh, It is 10.50 here on SENZ. The loveracing.nz update. Your home for everything thoroughbred racing. Visit loveracing.nz. Racing's biggest fan. Louis Herman Watt joins us uh, as we look at uh, a race day today at Matamata. Louis, uh, 11 races uh, beginning at uh, 12.43 this afternoon on a soft six. Yep, a soft six, Smithy. Um, Really, all I want to tell you about, there's a couple I like, but all I want to tell you about is race five, down the bottom of a book, down the bottom of the book, there's a horse called Relentless Ruby. We lawn row fillies. China Horse Club colours. Ryan Elliott to ride for Andrew Forsman. Drawn barrier five. Nothing to see here. Nothing to see here at all. But I don't know if the Chinese New Year or what has gone on here. But this horse was 750 into about 380, about 20 minutes, 20 minutes after it opened. And now it's into $3. It even touched 280. There has been an absolute shift here. They are pulling up from all corners of the world to back Relentless Ruby. And just as a note, Baz has got a horse in this race, Pacino. It's another Lonro filly, but not even Baz and his pound can get the market to move back towards Pacino because they're all about the Relentless Ruby, mate. Seven fifty to $3. That is some sort of shift, Smithy. Have you had a bet? I have not had a bet. I might. I might have a look at it. I'm just uh, looking at it. Of course, Ryan Elliott uh, riding... Uh, out of uh, the Andrew Forsman barn, so um, nothing really uh, to make note of apart from the fact that it's placed in its only trial to date. But gee, I don't know. That uh, that's big action, big action, Louis. It's huge action, Smithy. They've absolutely fallen out of trees to back this, um, and, and good on them. You know, if you want to, if you want to get one ready to go, and you want your owners and everyone to have a bet, there's obviously been a bit of bully about it. So. I think you could do worse than following it. My best of the day was race number three, a horse called Tempest, 420 into 360 now. So good shopping if you were listening this morning and you got the 420 at $1.80 uh, when we mentioned it on the breakfast show. Tempest, Craig Zaki, good draw. Frankel Mere, beautifully bred naturally and showed really good, really good progression first start at the races. Uh, ran really far, well, best splits in the races that day and was on a heavy track. I think the soft track will probably be more her go. And then one I like at a little bit of odds for an each-way ticket is Neighbourhood in race number seven. Both his best races have come on the soft track and from a good barrier with Joe Doyle doing the riding. I think Neighbourhood for Lance and Andrew is going to be a really nice chance as well. So Joe Doyle, there you go. I'm a Joe Doyle guy today. 
Good on you, boy. Okay, Louis Herman Watt there with uh, three to look at uh, at Matter Matter. Uh, that might interest uh, Thad Taylor down there at the TAB as well. The chairman is on the line with us. Uh, Thad, I was just, uh, uh, you, it was uh, interesting. We did the barrier draw uh, this time last week, actually, uh, for the two-year-old and three-year-old races at uh, Pukekohe Park. And there was major movement uh, straight away on Tokyo Tycoon when it drew barrier 14. And we all know what happened after that. And the movement was away. So interesting trends. Yeah, 100%, and it had such an effect. Good morning, some of the uh, OP Boston, obviously, and uh, we sort of thought he may go with Trobriand. It hadn't even been decided uh, when he drew barrier six in Tokyo to Icoon drew the outside barrier. So um, we sort of had took a punt that that would be the way that OP went, and it was, and you have to pay a bit of an OP tax uh, whenever you're having a bet on OP Boston because he's just that good. But it didn't worry Tokyo Tycoon. What a win um, no. from Tokyo Tycoon. What a ride from Craig Zaki. So... Yep, they can win from anywhere, as we know. But, um, yeah, it drifted out on the back of that barrier draw, but did not matter what a win. So today, in terms of uh, sport, what have we got on? Still the Aussie Open? Yeah, obviously the Aussie Open sort of taking the main uh, focus for everyone here. And um, you can have a uh, tennis bonus back bet, which is quite quite nice. If you lose in the deciding set, you will get your bet refunded up to $50 as a bonus bet. So you can bet on uh, those women's games. And if you lose in that third set, um, yeah, you can obviously get your bet back as a bonus bet, but obviously it's quarterfinals time. Novak Djokovic, a dollar eleven against Andre Rublev. Uh, he's getting pretty short to win the whole thing. I think he's about a dollar thirty-five to win it all. Uh, Smithy, more interest in the women's side of the draw in terms of a betting prospect. Uh, Pliskova, a dollar sixty-two against Magda Lynette, and uh, Sabalink, a dollar twenty-four against Donovicic. So those quarterfinals are underway. But yeah, have a look at that tennis. A back bonus promotion because that is certainly one uh, you can get into. There's a mega multi. Vodafone has one awesome summer of sport lined up for you. Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. From behind the stumps to behind the mic, nothing gets past Smithy. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. Well, there's a great saying uh, when it comes to golf that a bad day at golf is still better than a good day at work, but uh, you might want to change your mind about that uh, when you consider perhaps breaking the world record for the most golf holes played in a day. Twelve hours later, in fact, you might be thinking entirely differently, but that's exactly what New Plymouth leadership coach Shannon Stallard, world champion speed golfer Jamie Reid and Mick McBeth did last weekend. The world record was 252 holes. Now, unofficially, it's 311. And the man behind that mammoth, mammoth effort joins us now on SENZ. Shannon Stallard, good morning to you, sir. I take my hat off to you. I'm an avid, keen golfer. Uh, but 18 holes is good enough for me on any given day. Yeah. Well done. Yeah, tēnā and I thank you. I just, I just give praise to God, our Lord Jesus Christ, for the gift of good health and that... Um you know, we live in such a beautiful, peaceful country here in New Zealand, don't we? We've got golf courses that we can go out and uh, and, and play golf on. And, you know, I think it's a little bit crazy, this game of golf. You can go and spend 12 hours running through grass fields in the sun, chasing a little white ball to stick into holes in the ground. So it's a strange little game, something that's only just new to me, actually. Um, I only really sort of took it up in, in October. But, yeah, man, I just feel so blessed uh, with, with the opportunity to have on Saturday to to go out there and have the support um, around me and to do it with some good friends. And I thought we had a good chance, all three of us, of, of breaking the world record on this particular course. We're all pretty fit. 
um, but I didn't think we'd do it to the degree that I did it. So there you go. There you go, all right. It's staggering. Uh, why did you turn to golf in October then? Well, um, mainly just because of friends, good friends. We've got Jamie Reid here, who's the um, the world champion for speed golf, and he's in our little running club. I've um, got a background as a as an Ironman triathlete, and they're sort of retired from that, but always had a love for running. Just had four brothers growing up on a farm. We were always runners. Both my parents are marathon runners. Dad's on Boston. Mum and Dad both on London Marathon. So, and uh, Jamie was coming along to that, and then another friend, Mac- Macbeth. Uh, he got into speed golf. Another friend, Bernie Smith, who's a who's a, a pretty good golfer, and um, they sort of encouraged me to to get along and get into it. They actually brought me a a three month membership to the Fitzroy Club, beginners membership for the Fitzroy Club for my birthday, and uh, I thought, oh, okay, right, I'll uh, I cashed that in October, started playing, and then I did I did 54 rounds of golf from October until the challenge. Um, that's definitely a lot more rounds of golf than I'd ever played in my life. I think I used to play maybe a round once every sort of two or three years before that. Um, Bernie lent me his six iron and said, just, just use this, just get good at using that to, to tee up with, to chip in and just to putt with. And, and yeah, I mean, uh, the 12-hour challenge is really, uh, you know, it's about going fast, really. I think it's 90% running and 10% golf. You need to be good at golf. Um, but you're not you're not counting, so not like you know the the speed golf um, champs that 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 Jamie uh, is the world champion at because that's about running fast and playing good golf. I mean, here at nationals last year, um, he um, he shot 90, uh, 99, uh, sorry sixty nine and ran thirty one eighteen, and so you add those scores together to get your your speed golf score, which he's he's going to break one hundred. That's his plan. So. I'll, uh, I'll line up for nationals, but I think my golf's got a bit of work to do, Ian, because um, you, you probably saw the little article there when I got to the 18th for the for the final round. I, I five-putted from about a metre out. <laughs> Look, five-putting uh, when you play that much uh, is, is not a bad thing because I, I think you're allowed to have a little bit of fatigue kicking in at that point. Hey, listen, uh, so how did, the day, how did the day begin? I mean, what time did you start and... and what kind of time budget were you running on in terms of, of what you could do? Mm, yeah, we started at 6.30. Um, there, were, there were six individuals, so obviously Jamie, Mick and I were all going for the record. Um, and then there were another teams. I think there was about sort of 24 teams, and they were, they were doing like 18 and tagging in. Um, and so we got all allocated a different tee off. So I teed off on the 15th, Jamie was on first, and Mick was on the 9th. And uh, so I got, I kind of sort of, I quite like that because I got, I got four holes in before I started my first four rounds. So 6.30 tee off, finish at 6, 6.30 at night. I planned to go out pretty hard the first kind of 10 rounds or um, just before it got hot. So the, during the morning hours, I thought, let's get time up on the record and then, and then see how I go from there. Uh, Jamie and I, are like early in January, had done seven rounds uh, and that was a marathon. And I, that was when I thought, you know, well, I, I can do this. I can break the record. Um, so, yeah, so like early, early rounds, I was doing like 31, 32 minutes for the round, having a little short break, um, you know, less than a minute, then kind of two-minute breaks. When I got to the 10th the round, I had a longer break. I had a 10-minute, well, what was about an eight-minute break. It was going to be 10 minutes, but after eight minutes, I said, oh, I've got to go, I'm going. Um, and then I slowed down a bit, doing sort of 37, 38-minute rounds, 41 44, then a couple of 45s, and I came in, which was the end of my 16th, so I've done 16 
and four holes. And uh, I looked at my watch, and it was just under 40 minutes to go. And so I just done a, a couple of 45-minute rounds. I thought, you know, I've got a, I've got a sub 40-minute round in me to get because I wanted to get back to the 18th because with the crowd there, I thought finishing on the 18th before the the 12 hours is up would be the thing to do. And as I was going out with that, I thought, you know what? The previous real record, um, which was 11, uh, 11 rounds, um, sorry, the previous record was 14 rounds, they'd run uh, 90 Ks, and the Fitzroy course is a little bit shorter, so I thought, I've got to run more than 90 Ks, so I was already over that, and I looked at my watch and thought, you know what, if I get to the 18th, that's going to be over 100 Ks, which will, which will be good, so I got, I got to the 18th, um, and uh, when I got there, there was still two minutes to spare, even though I five-putted. Um, so everyone said, one more, one more, one more. And at that stage, like, like someone had miscounted, and they were saying I was on 299. And that, I had no idea what 299 meant, because I'd actually lost count of how many rounds I'd done, and I wasn't counting how many holes, because that's impossible. Um, and so I, I was like, what do you mean? There's like two minutes left. There's no, no such thing as 99 seconds. And so they were like, one more, one more. Go and do the 15th. So I just ran up. I did the 15th, got that in. And, uh, and yeah, there was like 30 seconds to spare there. So, no, it was this great, great, great environment. And, uh, you know, all for a great cause, Ian. So it's, uh, this is a, um, a fundraising event uh, for, uh, for kidney kits. And so, you know, I, you know, I thank God for the gift of good health and the gift of running. But, you know, many aren't so fortunate in it. And so Kidney Kids is a charity that supports uh, kids in their whanau who have chronic kidney disease. And so my... Friend Adele Macbeth, um, who organised this challenge, and, and her husband Mick Macbeth, who, who did the challenge and broke the record, all say. Um, so Adele was a kidney kid, and we've got a little give a little page there. So if you go and search Twelve Hour Golf, you'll find it. And so I really do encourage your listeners, if if, uh, if what we've done has inspired you, then please jump on and and donate to help those less fortunate than us. Wonderful cause, uh, a wonderful cause, uh, Shannon. So yeah, uh, get on the, uh, and give a little page and, and search it. So it's uh, fantastic. Uh, we need to know a little bit more about uh, the the mental side of things. Now you sound uh, to me, you know, I've never met you in person, but you sound a very positive person um, and you sound like a, a glass half full person most of the time, I would yeah. imagine. <laughs> but even then, yeah. even 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 in, in an exercise like this where you've been encouraged by others, there must have been times. I mean, this is uh, akin to a marathon, the hitting the wall stages. Mm. Uh, what, about, mm. what was your mind telling you at certain times? Yeah, there was a, you know, there's always a couple of dark moments, you know, just like there is in life, Ian, and I think that's just the real beauty of going and doing something like a like a twelve-hour challenge like this. And, um, and uh, you know, it's about those moments that are about forming your character and, 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 and testing yourself. Um, as you mentioned at the start, I'm a leadership coach, and one of the things I do is help leaders better understand themselves, and that's kind of like their innate personality, their temperament, and how that can be a strength for them when leading, leading at times, and how they need to kind of form their character to have that self-control, to have the versatility in their thinking and behaviour to kind of overcome that innate desire and their own needs, and to be able to kind of lead with virtue, which ultimately allows them to be effective in their leadership. So. You know, the 12-hour challenge was really a, a way for me to test and form my own character because, you know, virtue is a form of fitness. Like, your character is something that you form. Um, and, you know, so those things like self-mastery and temperance and courage and magnanimity, which is like kind of seeking greatness um, with humility. And, and you know, the glass half full, faith, hope and love, you know, like they're, they're key virtues that, um, you know, knowing all these things are, are a gift from God. So... 
So yeah, yeah, that's uh, that's the, the 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 pace. I guess when you get in there, when you when you kind of it's dark and difficult. Um, you know, that's the part where it forms your character, where you can where you can work through there. And you know, to do great things, we need to do little things well. So you know, this twelve-hour challenge didn't come from nowhere. You know, I guess throughout my life, from you know, of um, you know, I guess I I was running up the 18th green at actually one stage, and I was holding my club in two hands, and I thought oh, I've done this before because. I was in the military and the army for a period of time, and I thought back to the days in the area and the training area there, carrying a rifle running. I thought, you know, this is kind of, I've, tra- I've trained for this. Um, yeah. Brilliant. Absolutely brilliant. Can I, for the, you know, the absolute uh, golfers out there who would like to, to know a couple of things, first of all, how many clubs do you carry? Yeah, so just one club, just a six iron. So, uh, you know, it's not even mine, it's my mate's Bernie Smith, so just a six iron. And I started playing from October with that six iron and just he gave me some lessons about how to kind of use it to tee off and how you use it different to, to, to chip in and how to putt with it. So sort of going to get good at just using a six iron. Footchroy is quite forgiving like that. Like you can drop it in short and it kind of roll onto the green. Um, I managed, you know, in, in 311 holes never to put it in the bunkers, which is good because it's quite difficult to get out of the bunker with a six iron. But yeah, yeah. So one club, I mean, that makes it fast because you're not, picking up clubs and, and the like. The other thing of, of uh, interest to me, I mean, golf balls. How many golf balls did you use? Did you lose any? I mean, you're not going to stop to look for them, so golf balls? Yeah, no, that's right, that's right. Yeah, no, I lost seven. I lost seven golf balls throughout the day. Um, I had a, I had a um, for the first 10, I kind of did those rounds by myself, even though there's other teams and, and the like up there. I, mm. I caught up to Jamie Reid, and we did a round together, actually, and then, and then I pushed on. And I had a mate join uh, me, Brian Keegan, and then Bram O'Grady. And they kind of ran with me for some of those later rounds when it was kind of hot. And, you know, I was starting to struggle a little bit. And my errant boars would kind of go under the trees. And it's kind of in the shade and the sun. And it's hard to find. So they would run forward. And, Here's your ball, Shannon. So that was massive, massive help. So, yeah, big thanks to them and that support. And that kind of just, you know, motivates you and pushed me to, to push on. So, but, yeah, the seven boars that I lost, three of them were exact. The, the exact same tee off and I just put it into the bush <laughs> round after round actually those uh, those times and so the fourth time I got there I thought right, I'm not going to do that again I'll just put it straight don't try to hit it as hard Shannon that's the key Okay the, the next thing is um, it, it's at this stage classed as unofficial how does it become ratified how does it become official as such yeah, well, I, I think um, there's no, like, Golf Federation doesn't actually kind of hold a particular record around this 12-hour thing. So the only sort of official people that do would be the Guinness Book of Records. And in order to get that done, you need to get someone from Guinness there to, to verify it and come around. So the team that organised it had looked into that, but the cost of it just wasn't um, worth it considering this was a charity fundraising event to spend money um, doing that. So, so they decided not to. So I mean I kind of I'm kind of happy to just have the unofficial word record. Um, that's all good in my books. Okay, there, so um, another question: um, When you go back to playing non-speed golf as such, are you, will, yeah. what will you reflect on? Do you think? I assume you haven't played since. I um, mean your body needs a rest, and you, you know, the last thing you wanted to do is play golf the next day, I would imagine. But when you go back and you've got a, a bag that's uh, got some clubs in it, etc., and you can actually uh, meander your way around a golf course. What will you be thinking about? You feel? <laughs> well, I went out last night, Ian, with uh, a friend, Jesse Armstrong. We went and did uh, we went and did nine last night. I just took the six on. The thing is, 
um, uh, there's no going back because I've never been there. I've actually never played like a really full 18 with a full set of clubs there. And I, I'm, not, I'm not too good with the driver or a, the, the pitching wedge. Um, you know, I think speed golf's really my jam. I think, you know, getting getting good at, at using a small number of clubs and, and moving fast. So um, I'm going to, you know, I'm going to sign up to do uh, to do nationals and, um, you know, I'm going to have to get a few more little golfing lessons about uh, getting a little better at golf and, and maybe kind of getting better with the, the driver because, you know, getting that... When, with, when speed golf, when you add your shots plus your time, um, obviously a driver can give you kind of... Uh, at the distance that would take you, you know, two or maybe even three shots with a six iron, and so that that's three minutes, you know, and you're not gonna you're not gonna run fast three minutes. So, so yeah, so I mean, maybe that's uh, that's that's the future for me. And is actually getting a bag of clubs and uh, becoming an actual uh, slow golfer. Did you um, did you have one favourite shot of the day? And all the shots that you had, did you nearly hole in one? Did you? Did you hit one? You thought, now that's pretty damn good. Or, or did you have one moment? Yeah, there, there was a few of those actually. I got uh, four birdies in the day, but there was one on the, the 16th um, when I chipped it in from quite a long way back, and I didn't see it, but the guys were up there and oh, they chipped it in. So um, we, the flag stayed in all day, you see, so I, I could see the flag banging, and it obviously rolled along, got the flag, went in. Uh, yeah, and there's a couple of beautiful shots just off the tee as well, where, where um, you know, you know, you just hit it nice and it just go straight and long. There's a few of those. Well, there's plenty of those, actually. There's a few of those good moments where I surprised myself. I thought, gee, I'm actually playing pretty good golf here at the moment. We've heard about um, the Give a Little Page, but uh, you're such an interesting bloke and you're such a positive guy. I, I kind of feel there's people out there that might want to get hold of you in terms of your other role, which is uh, in leadership, etc. How How do they get hold of you? Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. And, um, you know... Um, you know, with my Lead with Virtue, which is the business that I got, is about helping leaders gain the mindset and tools to develop their self-awareness and self-control in order to sort of pursue the right path. Um, the business has got a whakatauki um, whaia tiara tika. So that was, that was gifted to me, which is kind of about pursuing the truth or pursuing what is right. And so I kind of help like, leaders become the best leaders they can be, um, the leaders that people need. So, And also I've, I've got this... Um, I guess this calling to kind of build a community of leaders who want to be part of a movement about seeking to lead with virtue and, and what is a pretty chaotic world at the moment and helping them to kind of live a more impactful life about restoring harmony and kind of bringing dignity and creating peace and stability in the world so that we can all thrive. That's kind of, I guess, my dream and vision that I've got. And so, um, yeah, and I also work with leadership teams, um, helping them understand the kind of their collective personality and where there are connective blind spots and connective uh, strengths and how to effectively leverage those strengths or how they could overplay them and how to mitigate those blind spots as a team. You know, and the first step there is, is building awareness as a team. And most of the times when I do this, is teams go, oh, yeah, 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 we know that. Like, kind of subconsciously they knew that. But it's coming to their conscious and giving them a language to talk about. And then the key here is then creating a bit of a charter of commitments both individually and collectively, so they can hold each other to account, which really kind of aids them to becoming a, a high-performance team. So, you know, if you, if um, you know, if leaders are listening and they're thinking, "Gee, I, I kind of need some help with that," with themselves, with their team, yeah, please get in touch. I'm, you know, I'm taking new clients. Uh, leadwithvirtue.org is that's uh, that's where you'll find me. So, jump on there, leadwithvirtue.org. 
Um, and I just want to also give a shout out to um, my mentor, uh, Rob Holt. Um, so Rob Holt's also a leadership coach based in Christchurch, team leader. Uh, you know, Rob's been sort of massive in um, kind of helping me get started um, as, a, as a leadership coach because just, I've just launched my business um, last year. And, uh, and Rob's also an avid uh, endurance athlete. Uh, we've done some big events together, Rob and I. We did uh, um, the four mountain bike trails on the west coast of the top of the South Island, the West Coast Wilderness Trail, um, Paparoa, Old Ghost Road, and Heafy last year. So, um, yeah, so thanks, Rob. Just want to give a shout-out to Rob. Shannon Stallard, you're a fascinating man, I've got to say. Um, I take my hat off to you in uh, every aspect of what you're doing. Um, the, the golf brought your name to uh, the headlines and the attention, but uh, certainly uh, the work you're doing with uh, the community as well. Inspirational chatting to you, sir. Uh, thanks very much for your time. Go well. Thank you, Ian. All praise to God. Thank you, Ian. God bless. See ya. Yeah, cheers. Uh, Shannon Stallard there um, with uh, his uh, take on life and uh, his positivity um, and man, I've never heard uh, a bloke so bubbly and positive about uh, directions he uh, wants to head and wants people to head as well. Uh, interesting man, very, very interesting man. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, anyone that's played golf, um, even carrying one club round, running at 100 miles an hour, to play over 17 rounds of golf, over 17 rounds of golf in 12 hours. Staggering, absolutely amazing. Uh, one interview, 11.22 here on SENZ. 0800 Brand are experts in agriculture, covering your equipment, parts and service needs to help you succeed in your field. Summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. It's been years in the yeah, years in the making indeed, and uh, that's what we've been talking about this morning. Uh, Brian Rarity, myself and Logan Swinkles have all uh, been giving you uh, our uh, wishes for what's coming up in the sporting year and uh, what we'd like to see happen, and... Uh, Last uh, round here, and uh, Brian, I'd love you to go first if you could. With pleasure, Smithy. So this, uh, for those of you who don't know, is a uh, walkout song for one of our other UFC stars. Uh, This is generally used by Dan the Hangman Hooker. And um, I want him to get a little bit of this this year. When you sign to fight me, it's a celebration. You ring back home, you ring your wife. Baby, we done it. We're rich, baby. Conor McGregor made us rich. Break out the red panties. We're rich, baby. There you go. I want Dan Hooker to experience red panty night. Um, Conor McGregor's head coach, John Kavanaugh, went on the MMA Hour yesterday and said that it is... Uh, his belief that Connor will fight this year, but he needs a fight that excites him. Uh, I and and the, f- the athlete has to have a name and have a pathway for Connor to the title. So if it's not a direct title shot, which is stupid, it should be Dan the Hangman Hooker. And I think Dan, uh, with his new mindset, will just ruin the day for the um, for the Irishman. Oh, I think. Uh, 
I think Dan would destroy him, and I think the people would love to see that too. Oh, I'd love to see that. I've got to say, I would love to see Dan the Hangman look at flatten Conor McGregor and for Conor McGregor stagger to his feet and get flattened again. That's just nothing. I've got against Conor McGregor, but I just quite like to see that happen. To be, I like that, Brian. I like that. I like the music. Um, <laughs> quite got round the other side of it, but I will. <laughs> okay, Logan, what's your last one? Yeah, I can't say I've heard 50 Cent played on uh, SCNZ before. I think a lot of people would pay good money for uh, Dan Hooker to, to do that fight. My last one, you're probably wondering, man, when is, when is Swinks going to bring in some hockey? Well, it's going to happen now. And it's the Toronto Maple Leafs to end their Stanley Cup drought, which dates back to 1967. It's been 55 years since the Toronto Maple Leafs have lifted the Stanley Cup. It's the butt of all jokes about the franchise from fans of other teams. Back then, it was still the original six-team Smithy, and the games were broadcasted in black and white. Currently, they're second in the Atlantic Division with uh, 48 games into the 82-game season. They're on a 29-11-8 and record. Their top guns are firing, but it's the playoffs when it all matters. We know that. They haven't advanced past the first round since 2004. You need 16 wins to win it all. They haven't even been able to get four. To borrow a line from my Warriors Fano Smithy, this is our year. This is our year. This is our year. Toronto Maple Leafs. Right, we'll be following the Stanley Cup with interest this year just to see how damn close you get to that. Mine's quite a simple one, really, and and it uh, relates to the Black Caps. Because uh, without this bloke, uh, I don't see us being genuine contenders too much in, in whatever we do over a period of time. Uh, he's uh, To me, uh, he was going to be the guy that knocked over Sir Richard Hadley in terms of test wickets. Uh, I thought if he carried on the pathway he was doing, but uh, he went away. This fella went away. I just want to hear him come back, Brian. I want to hear him turn around and say, I want to come back and I want uh, him part of our lineup because I-, I want more of this kind of action. But we'll go upstairs just to confirm it. Hitting the wickets. Joel, I'm back on field to you. There it is, Trent Bolt, the third New Zealander to take a one-day international hat-trick. Well, there it is. That's it. That's my wish, yes. Uh, Simon Dill to come back and be a television commentator in New Zealand. That's it. Ah, and you thought I was talking about Trent Bolt. Oh, there you go. Well, both would be great for me, to be perfectly honest. But yeah, Trent Bolt uh, and Simon Dole to be back in New Zealand uh, to do the right thing for us. Uh, it's 11.32. Okay, that, uh, very good, fellas. I enjoyed that this morning. Um, by the by, um, we've got uh, 50 bucks to play for. My other wish, actually, is to build up um, the uh, Stump Smithy Pot to $300 at some stage during the year and play for the real big buck. Bickies, that might start today, actually. Uh, we're about to uh, try and give you 50 bucks or me try and defend 50 bucks from the TAB. 0800 150 811. 0800 150 811.
is our phone number. And in the meantime, a short news bulletin here from Aroha. Vodafone has one awesome summer of sport lined up for you. Ian Smith really is top class at his job. All right, as you just heard on our sporting wish list of 2023, Smithy wants to get it up to 300, which I think would be the record. 250 is the highest that it's gone up to uh, in my time here at SNZ. Smithy, I would love to see that happen. And in your form lately, the way you've started the year, I could see that happen. Yeah, I got done by a a tough question yesterday, but uh, I'm pretty confident that uh, we can do it at some point. I've been reading a lot of books over the the course of the... um, Christmas holidays in the new year, uh, a lot of books, uh, Logan. So I expect that to um, to, <laughs> to to cash in at some point on that. Right, like, who have we got uh, on air uh, with us this morning? First at the crease, playing for a fifty dollars TAB bonus bet. Great friend of the show to you and I, Ed from Tolaga Bay. Come in, mate. Hey, good morning, guys. Hey, Ed. What's on the What's on the menu today? What are you doing today? I'm just sitting outside Pullman Recreation Centre so I can pick up my little one for her um, from her holiday program. Oh, nice. Okay. Uh, um, what's her name? What's What's your daughter's name? Darla May. Her, her name's Darla May. She actually spoke to Staffy yesterday. <laughs> did she? She spoke to Staffy, Darla May did. Interesting. Okay. Um, Hello. Right. <laughs> Hello. What are the What are the What are the subjects today that uh, or the topics uh, we've got the categories? The topics for you today, Ed, are the Auckland Tuatata, NBA basketball, and the Black Sticks. Take your pick. Um, we will take the Auckland Tuatara. All right. I promise these questions are not that hard. Definitely not the curly ones that we got yesterday. All right, first one for you, Ed. What year did the Auckland Tuatara enter the Australian Baseball League? 2018. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. I remember that first season well, Smithy, at McLeod Park. Promising, very promising start for you, Ed. I was going to go 2017, so well done. You would have got me there anyway. (laughs) Second question for you, Ed. Who is the manager of the Auckland Tuatara? Oh, that's old Steve Mintz. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Another great friend of the station, Smithy. Yeah, Steve Mintz, um, and hopefully if he does come back um, and we get some playoff action or, or he does come back next year, they'll let them train on the park that they play on. That'll be interesting. Yeah, that well, be he's, very interesting. Be a nice gesture. Yeah, that would be nice. He's at least reached one goal, and that is to make the playoffs this year. What team do they face in the first round, Ed? Oh, they got the Adelaide Giants. Just a couple of chips down the wicket, right in the slot, and away it goes. Smithy, just three sixes, bang, bang, bang. Do you write these questions and send them in, Ed? Did you? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, hey, Logan, don't tell them. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> oh, Ed, you're a, cha- you're, a, you're a champion bloke and a champion this morning. So uh, pick up the daughter and uh, make sure that uh, you have a great day and invest that fifty bucks. Brian will make sure it gets through to you as soon as possible. Thanks for playing, mate. We'll catch up with you again shortly. We sure will. Thank you.
Cheers, uh, Ed there from uh, Tolaga Bay. He comes in, but of course he's uh, more an Aucklander these days. And uh, we uh, catch up with Ed every now and then when he has uh, got something to say or uh, something to play. So uh, we will take a, a break. When we come back, uh, it's time to catch up too with uh, Andy Thompson, of course. It is uh, Rural Roundup Day being Wednesday. To help you succeed in your field, summer or winter, he's the voice of sport in Aotearoa. This is Mornings with Ian Smith on SENZ. 11.43 here on SENZ and uh, it's time to uh, catch up with the, our good friend uh, Andy Thompson who has uh, of course got his Rural Roundup show beginning uh, at uh, 12 o'clock midday. Uh, of course that's on all frequencies except for Auckland and Wellington and Andy if my eyes don't deceive me you've set up camp in Christchurch this morning. I am in Christchurch, Smithy. Good to see you, mate. Hey, good to have you back uh, in the country as well. Loved your work over the summer too, by the way. Um, Thank you, Milton John yeah, last but... night. Sorry, what was that? I was at Elton John last night, Smithy, here in oh, Christchurch. Oh, right. Well, so, actually, actually, not far from looking like an Elton John if you put a bit of work in, to be fair, as I look <laughs> at you now. Uh, so hey, how Smithy, was the... how was yeah, I don't know if it says here though. Uh, to be honest, uh, Andy, how was the concert? Was it everything you wanted it to be? Absolutely perfect. I think he started at seven thirty. He played for two and three quarter hours. Can I say this? No bullshit whatsoever. Played all the songs you wanted to hear. Played uh, and got you know played a play a couple of the lesser known songs, um, but some of the jamming on it. The band was incredible. Uh, you know, like people say to me, oh, you know, these older guys or older singers, they're losing their voice a little bit. They're not what they were. Hey, he's 75 years old. He's not 25 years old anymore. There's 50 years in the middle there. Um, and it's not a studio sound. It's a live sound. I loved it. Um, bucket list for me. Last time I'd ever get to go and see Elton John play, he played Yellow Brick Road. He played all of the songs he wanted him to play. It was a fantastic concert. 27, 30-odd thousand people there at AMI Stadium. It was a bit cold, though. Christchurch is uh, not the warmest at, at this time of the year. Well, it should be. It should be uh, pretty warm at this time of the year. So uh, AMI Stadium being put to good use, of course, I'm not sure Elton will be around when they open the new stadium down there in Christchurch. <laughs> and uh, whether he might, that might be when he's about 82. If he could come back and do a, a concert then, that would be something special. Uh, Andy, look, I, I'm just looking at... Um, Issues on the on the rural side of things. I'm not quite sure what you've got on your show today, but I I look down the, the column at um, egg shortages. Uh, look at um, no um, payment, the uh, progress payment for February for um, for uh, Zespri, uh, the, for, for the kiwi fruit. Of course, I go a little bit further up the page and see that Fonterra want people to stop um, killing bobby calves and raising them for other purposes, etc. So. Uh, I guess uh, at the moment, like the rest of the world, we're in this sort of um, trying to halt things sort of phase and, and look forward. Exactly. Look, uh, you've, you've, you've touched on uh, two or three massive issues. The egg one is a big issue. Obviously, there's a lot of unintended consequences that are calling that. The one we are covering today, though, I'm talking to Katie Milne, ex-president of Federated Farmers. This ruling by Fonterra to stop the on-farm culling of bobby calves is quite a big deal. Um, and it's a very tricky and a very, very emotive subject. Um, it's been This has been around for a wee while, Smithy. Um, Fonterra made this ruling last year, but it's hit the mainstream media. And, of course, we had One News covering it last night, Stuff are covering it. Um, and, of course, all of the animal welfare people are jumping up and down. There are a lot of consequences to this uh, ruling. Um, and it means the meat companies have to have plenty of infrastructure in place to deal with this influx of calves. 
The bobby calf issue mm. is an issue that um, dairies in New Zealand have been dealing with for many, many years, and and it is changing. And there are some technology that is going to change. The main one uh, is going to be sexed semen. So um, you artificially inseminate cows every year. Um, 50% of those calves that are born are male, 50% are female. But the technology to genetically check for or to change, so you're only getting predominantly female semen when you artificially inseminate those cows, is making a big reduction in the unwanted male bobby calves. So there's a lot on it, but that's what we're talking about as well. So also, our new Prime Minister, what's that going to mean for ag? Um, Andrew Morrison, Chairman of Beef and Lamb, we're going to talk to him. Also, um, Andrew Hoggard, who's not on the show, I want to get him on, but um, President of Federated Farmers said um, agriculture was losing a friend with Jacinda Ardern's um, resignation. So a lot going on. Well, that's an interesting perspective, isn't it? I mean, you know, in the past, and I'm pretty sure I can recall over the over the years that um, she was Prime Minister, uh, she wasn't exactly um, welcomed on farms, or if she was, it wasn't for the reason that they wanted to have a pleasant cup of tea with her. So uh, where does he get this belief from, Mr Hoggart? It's a really interesting point of view, and I tend to subscribe to agree with Andrew on this one. Jacinda Ardern was a person who actually, and, and look, this is quite controversial in the ag sector because the, the Ag New Zealand, or a lot of the ag sector, kind of believe that the Labor government is, is against agriculture. It's not. There's changes that were being made that were too fast and were not being agreed on. And actually, if you had the Greens on one side really pushing for a lot of changes, Jacinda was the one that was potentially slowing it down and making sure it was ag-friendly, giving some time. It's, it is controversial, a really controversial statement. Uh, there were other members of the Labor government, David Parker, and um, within the environment space, who was pushing really hard. But between Damien O'Connor and Jacinda, um, it, it says a lot for how much work that particularly Jacinda did that Andrew Hoggart came out with that statement. Do you have a 2023 wish list for the agricultural sector? Um. Yeah, I, I do a little bit, and, and it's to do with, I think, the ag sector is very divided at the moment, um, Smithy. There's a lot of people in ag who are very against some of the environmental changes, some of the changes uh, that are being being brought through. I just wish that people would get on the same page and just actually start to think that in the long term, these changes are going to have to happen, fighting them and saying we're not going to do anything and causing angst and division within the sector is not going to um, it's not going to help us. So if we can get together and talk about it more, try and be a bit more united, because there is definitely a division in ag on these changes. Uh, and, you know, there's a, there's a more conservative view that's going, no, we don't, we don't want to bar this. We want to go back effectively to where we were. Um, and then there's a more progressive view that's going, hey, look, we just need to make sure we've got uh, time in place we need to make sure that we can bring these changes through in a way that is a just transition. And I think that would be what I'd like to see. Cool. Andy Thompson, folks, uh, is with you uh, on his Rural Roundup show. And uh, I'll let Andy go now because he's about nine minutes uh, away from kicking off. Um, and that, of course, is on all frequencies uh, apart from the Auckland and Wellington ones. Uh, on those ones, uh, you can listen in to Staffy. We'll have a catch-up with Staffy too before midday. Thanks to the SCNZ app, I've been tuning in at all hours of the day. From Izzy to Ricardo, what a roster we have on SCNZ. It's Kiwi for sport.